Today, if you have a Bible, let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we continue our study in such an important topic regarding marriage. And today we're going to discover, it's kind of cool, verses uh, 1 through 7 in 1 Peter chapter 3 uh, regarding the function of a husband and wife. And, you know, so just kind of recapping a little bit about what we studied, you know, and I, and I pray that if you're here today and you're a single person, that you don't tune this out because, um, you know, maybe you're, you're going to get married in the future. Some of you here, you have the gift of singleness, and so it's not going to be uh, too much of a struggle for you because God has given you that gift. Others of you, um, whatever the Lord's will is, whatever His will is in His timing, you know, He might bring someone into your path. And, and so you have to not only be... Uh, find the right person, but be the right person, right? But, but I will say this, though, that when you're, you're a gal and you're looking for a guy or you're praying for a guy, you know, this is the kind of guy you're going to be looking for. And if he's not this guy, he's not loving you, if he's not leading you, then run. Run, because it's not going to get better. You know, you've got to pray, Lord, you know, let me see what the Bible says. What do I need to be, you know, praying for in a man or a woman and that way, you know, you can, man, you can avoid this, the heartache sometimes of people who they just want to get married. They just want to get married and they don't realize that it's going to get worse unless first you establish a relationship with Christ. And so for the single people, you know, um, knowing who you're supposed to be and, and what you're supposed to pray for. And, and then also, um, you know, if you're here and Let's just say you've gone through a marriage and, and, and your spouse committed adultery or they abandoned you. One of the things I want to make sure I mention to you is that you're not a second-class citizen. I mean, God himself had to divorce his bride. It happens sometimes to the best of spouses. And so I want to make sure that there's no, there's no condemnation here. But, but we're learning what the Bible says regarding marriage because it's so important. I mean, like I said, the family is the fabric of society. It was established before government and, and even, you know, the, the church. And so it's an important part. You want to keep marriages together. You want to keep families together. Today I got a, that opportunity. And it really, throughout this whole series, I've had chances to talk to people who have told me, you know, this, uh, this is bringing everything to light. You know, one guy said today, I, I don't know, uh, I'm so glad because um, if, I, if, you, if we hadn't been studying this, I wouldn't have come up here to tell you that I, we need help in our marriage. And I said, that's the first step. You know, if you're here and you're struggling, it's like you step into the Jordan River and it, and it opens up and into the promised land. You know, if you're here and you're struggling in your marriage, don't, don't isolate yourself, man. You've got to begin to open up and you have to talk. And you have to talk, we're going to see today, you know, maybe a, a good Christian friend or maybe a spiritual mentor, a leader, or maybe a pastor, because God wants to bless your marriage, okay? So um, one last thing before we dive in, I want to just I encourage you to do the best that you can to make sure that you're not listening to this and, you know, you're a husband, you're, you're telling your wife, hey, you know, sweetheart, you got to listen, you know, and you're, you know, girls, sometimes they give their husbands uh, bruises right here, man because they're elbowing so much, this is what you have to do. Did you know that it's illegal to read someone else's mail, to open up someone else's mail? Did you guys know that? It's big time illegal. Did you know that it's a federal offense? 
And if you get busted opening up someone else's mail, you can actually be fined $250,000 and spend five years in federal prison. So, you know, that's how crazy it would be for you to open up someone else's mail. And I think in one sense that that's a lot of times the problem in the church because, you know, you're reading what, you know, your wife and reading what your husband's supposed to do and he's not living up to it, so you don't live up to what you're called to do. Is that the way it works? Is it a contract? Or is it a covenant between you and God and says, this is what I'm called to do and I'm going to live what I I'm called to do. And when that happens, that's when God begins to show up and God begins to move because you're not doing things in the flesh. You're not doing things your way. You begin to do things God's way. And when we see that when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the, loves the church, it, it's transforming. And when a wife, we're going to see today, submits to her husband and, and, and it has this beautiful person on the inside, it's transforming, okay? So what I want to do today, we're going to go through these uh, scriptures. Remember, in Genesis 2, we went over what I would call the foundational truth. I, I wouldn't call it the foundation of marriage because really the foundation of marriage is Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 says, no other foundation, and no one can't lay any other foundation except Jesus. But in one sense, it's a foundational truth because what God has joined together, let not man separate. And that's important. That's, in one sense, the foundational truth. They always go back to the original marriage, the origin of marriage. But then we look into, after the foundational truth, we look into the functions in marriage. And that was spelled out for us uh, so clearly in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And then again here in 1 Peter, we're going to see today, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And so uh, I'm going to try my best to try to even it out. So, you know, I think we got what maybe 20 minutes for the girls and 20 minutes for the guys. I'm trying my best to make this even. And if for some reason we run out of the, uh, time for the guys, you know, we'll just close with prayer and we should be fine, okay? <laughs> so let's uh, read First Peter 3. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. So for the wives, we're going to give you four words to kind of formulate a sentence. And this in the Greek is, is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's, uh, it's a command. Uh, the word hupotasso means to arrange under. It means uh, uh, to subordinate. And it's important for any, any if there's going to be any success anywhere, there has to be order. God is a God of order. And as a matter of fact, 1 Peter 2, it mentions this a few times. If you look back to chapter 2 in verse 13, it says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him. And so there's an order. You know, even the government is ordained by God. And so we as citizens are to submit uh, to the government unless it contradicts God's word. But there's to be a submission there in society. Uh, we see it again in verse 18. Notice it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. And so he takes you now to the workplace, and he says, Hey, if your boss you know, has some errands or some things for you to do, you just do it. I mean, you don't want to confuse things. You don't want to throw a wrench in 
in things. You just, you know, you're submissive. That's cool. And it's not just something you do. It's an attitude that you have. It's a submission to government, submission at work. And and then in chapter 5, in in verse 5, notice Peter also talks about it here. It's interesting. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. And so it's interesting, in Ephesians 5.21, before he tells wives to submit to their husbands, he says, be submissive to one another. And then here he's talking about the younger to the older. And I do pray that there is an aspect of if you're a younger person here, you respect your, your elders. I think we're losing that in our society. We, you know, we should have that. And, and at the same time, though, we're all, as Christians, we're cultivating a heart of humility you know i mentioned in the first service that a lot of what i do even though i'm whatever the senior pastor whatever a lot of it is submission to others but not always every once in a while god will say well this is what i want you to do and that's kind of the way it works so there's this attitude of humility there's a heart of submission i want you to be blessed i want you to be blessed yes i want you to you know to lead in that area that's fine i would have done it different but no i'll let you run with it There's that attitude of mutual submission, but when you're a leader, you're responsible, you've got to answer to God, and so every once in a while, you know, you've got to say, no, I want to do things this way, because you believe God is leading you. And so, you know, here in Peter, he talks about it, it's so important, establishing the fact that God is a God of order, and their spiritual structure is vital for victory. And that's what we want, right? In, in the government, workplace. I mean, you got a team, you got a coach. He tells you what to do. What if you don't want to do what he tells you? Then it's just chaos. You're not going to win. There has to be a plan. And so we have the specific command to wives. And the reason is because God has placed the husband in that place with a responsibility to lead. You know, we see it uh, throughout the scriptures uh, over and over again. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3 is a good example. Notice what it says there. It says, but I want you to know. Uh, I, you know, I want you to know this, man, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And so, you know, you see the order there. You see uh, the father and the son, and the son is submissive to the father, but then you see the man, he's supposed to be submissive to Jesus. And then you see the wife, and she's supposed to be submissive to the man. And if everything is lining up, if everything is working the way it's supposed to be, ultimately, that you know, everyone is submissive to God. That's what's going on here. And so there's not a matter of inferiority or superiority. You've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're equal in essence and nature. You know, one not better or superior than the other, but there is a spiritual structure even within the Godhead. And so it's not meaning that one's better than the other. It's just a matter of God being organized. And so Jesus submits to the Father. And when we see this here as, as a key for us husbands, man, is, is to really have that heart to be submissive to him so that we can lead our wives to victory. You know, when you, when you look at this, and, and again, the way that it all works out, the beautiful way that it all works out is amazing to me because have you guys ever heard the wife say, well, he's the head and I'm the neck and I turn it whichever way I wish? Have you guys ever heard that? <laughs> you know, and some people will say, oh, that's, they'll, they'll, they'll totally, you know, throw it away. There's some truth to that. 
There is some truth to that. If you're a smart husband, you're going to listen to your wife. You know, I mean, like I said before, when, I, when, I, uh, I, when, we're, when we're seeing things differently, I have to back up and pray, God, what, what do you really want us to do? So this is something that we do together, right? The husband, however, does have the ultimate responsibility. And one day, bro, you can't stand before God and you can say, well, my wife, you know, she did it. Who does that sound like? Adam, no, man, you're going to stand before God. You have to be a leader. Well, you're not like, oh, I'm not a type A personality, and she is. Too bad. So sad. You've got that calling. You have to lead your family. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, it says you're the head, you're, you're, you're the ruler in the protective sense, Colossians 3, 18 as well. And, you know, it's kind of hard, to be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest as a man, because some guys are jerks. Right? I mean, it's the truth. It's just sad. But you have to understand this is what the scriptures say. I pray that as Christian men, we would begin to see the reason we've been given the responsibility to lead is to take care of our family and to follow Jesus. You know, I mean, when you're going through this, he's the head and she's to be submissive and supportive and a helper and a homemaker. It doesn't mean you don't disagree. It doesn't mean you don't influence decisions or sometimes even make decisions. It doesn't mean that, you know, you don't get your way as a wife. I believe in a healthy marriage, wives should get their way most of the time. It just means that this relationship has a God-given leadership. And when people understand it, it's a beautiful thing. It flows it's important because it blesses God who is worthy of our obedience, but it also, you know, blesses your husband. Even if your husband, some of you here today, your wife and, and your, your husband's not a believer, uh, it blesses them so much that it, this submission actually becomes a mission of submission because it leads us to the second word. The first word is submission. The second word is salvation. Because look at verse 1 again. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. You see, it is not necessarily your sermon. It's, it's your submission. Your godly lives will speak to them more than any, any absolutely articulate, specific words that you might have. I mean, you guys have heard it said a million times, right, that actions speak louder than words, right? It's true for wives. It's true for all of us. You know, there's that story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in 1943. The German officers broke into the church where he was preaching, and they hauled him away to the concentration camp. And upon his arrival, the commander said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous preacher, Writer, come here and address the assembly. I give you two minutes. And, and, and so he said, I don't need two minutes. I just need two words. And he went up before the assembly, you know, chains in front of the assembly, and he said, watch me. And then he went, he went back, and, and, and they did. That's exactly what happened. Although the Nazis mistreated him, Bonhoeffer would smile. He would lift his eyes toward heaven and would say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, he would share a portion of every meal, either with a prisoner 
or one of the Nazi guards. He was always smiling, filled with joy, constantly praying, loving to the point that revival began in the Nazi concentration camp. And it wasn't because of his sermon. It was because of his submission. It was what he did. It spoke louder than a lot of times what we might declare. You know, if you're here and your husband's mistreating you or something like that, like we talked about earlier, I mean, there is a time and a place where you need to speak up, sister, and it's okay. You talk to a friend. You talk to a spiritual mentor or a pastor or someone. You know, there are those times. But, you know, within, you know, that, that framework, there's that beauty of a wife who is submission, submitted even to her husband that doesn't know the Lord. You know, it's something that we see, they see, which leads us to our third word. First is uh, submission, and then, I mean, sorry, first is submission, then salvation. The third word is scenery, and when we put it all together, we're going to have a sentence at the end. But it's it's something that you see, it's the scenery. Because look what happens again in in verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And some ladies ask, well, when will my husband be different? You know, and sometimes the answer is when they see your chaste conduct accompanied by a fear of God and maybe a reverence or a respect for your husband. You know, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, when they see your pure and godly behavior, oftentimes that's when. You know, not every husband changes. Not every husband gets saved. You know, that's a general promise right there. It's not a specific precept. But for the most part, you're going to see the way that it works. I always tell you guys agape love is unconditionally, sacrificially loving someone, expecting nothing in return. But usually it pays dividends. Not always. Even God loves the whole world and the whole world doesn't love him. But this is their best chance to ever change when a wife would submit to her husband in such a way in which she would bring him even to salvation and he would see it with his own eyes. You know, you might be here and you might argue, yeah, but they don't deserve it. And I know, you know, what they're going to do with this. They're going to take advantage of me and they're going to mistreat me and they're going to make... You feel like I'm some sort of second-class citizen or servant or slave. It's humiliating. And I, and I definitely, I hear what you're saying because I know how some guys are, and I'm so sorry that we're like that sometimes. But unfortunately, you know, and tragically, some husbands will at least initially, you know, they see this, and, and they don't appreciate your love and the things that you do for them. But understand, this is their best chance. You know, if you really want to trust God, and I know you need, I know you know you need to. I mean, you could do it in your own flesh. You could treat him like your son. You're his mom. It's not going to work that way. 
You know, and you can fight fire with fire. You can put your hands on your hips. Every once in a while, I tell my wife, you got your hands on your hips, sweetheart. (laughs) Or you can do things God's way. It's up to you, man. Your whole life is like that. Your whole life is a decision of whether or not you're going to do things your way or God's way. It's as simple as that. And this is what God says will win him. You know, some women, they'll nag, they'll just keep bugging over and over again, and they'll do, you know, their thing, and they get what they want. They get him to do what they want him to do, and he never becomes the man that God wanted them to become. I mean, is that what you're interested in him? Some guy, you know, jumping through hoops and doing this and doing that? Or do you want him to be a man of God? If you want him to be a man of God, it's going to take a cross. It's on both sides. In which you're submissive, you're supportive, you're a homemaker, you're a helper. And, and you do things God's way and he sees it. It's not just on the outside. You know, it's a beauty that's on the inside. You know, when you look at this right here, the chaste conduct, it means pure and clean. It's a word really related to the word holy. And it's for that bride who longs to be blameless. You know, Peter talks about that here in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, about how God is holy, then we should be holy. And it kind of works. It, we just feed off of that. When you're holy, he's going to feed off of that. And, 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 his, and again, his conversion might actually be linked to your conduct. And it's going to take a certain behavior and a certain beauty. You know, verse 3, notice again, don't let it just be on the outside you know, a lot of women, they'll spend more time with their hair and their, and their fine jewelry and their, and their clothing. I mean, some ladies, they take hours to get ready. You know, I mean, imagine if they took just, you know, again, I, I think it's a very practical question. Imagine if they took the same amount of time sitting at the feet of Jesus and getting beautiful on the inside because that's what God sees. And ultimately, that's what your husband is looking at. You know, I know guys are visual. Don't get me wrong. I know how it is. You know, they see her and they're like, wow, she's beautiful, right? And I do encourage you, ladies, stay beautiful. Don't let yourself go. You know, like the guy comes home and you're still in rollers and, you know, you got your whatever, their pajamas on or something. No, man, make yourself attractive for your husband, not seductive for others. Attractive for him. Take care of yourself. But don't let it be merely that. You know, let it be, uh, you know, you uh, cultivating that inner beauty because guys, you know, it's kind of like a car. For example, when I look at whatever the Dodge Charger or the Camaro, I'm thinking, man, that looks pretty cool, you know. I, I would like to get one of those, but I can't because I'm a pastor, but man in heaven probably will because <laughs> people will think I'm weird, especially at the age of 50. They're like, no, don't go there. But anyways... You know, you look at it, but I mean, think about it. You spend most of the time on the inside. It looks good. It draws you there. Then when you get there, you spend the rest of your life on the inside. Same thing with the girl. I mean, if it's, 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 it's not just the, the outside. Praise God for that. You know, the way that God draws us together. But it's then when you really look, what's going on on the inside? What about that type of beauty? We live in a world, unfortunately, that believes a dormant 
you know, has to do only with what we see with these eyes. And it's a distraction with dress and clothes and fashion. Nothing wrong with being okay, like, you know, up to par. But man, don't let that be your focus. Peter here presents us with the truth that in all honesty, genuine beauty has nothing to do with that. And that's why, you know, the Bible says your beauty should not come from outward adornment, but from the inside. You know, 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at the appearance or the height, the stature, because I refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so what God is saying right here is we have to focus on our walk and who we are in Christ, the unfading beauty. I mean, you know, the outside, you know, generally speaking, and I, I don't know what's all different, but, you know, you know, maybe it'll fade away. I don't know how all that works, you know. Some women, they seem to get even more beautiful as they get older, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not really the most important thing. But I do know this, and on the inside, they can continue to grow in beauty. It's an unfading beauty that I believe can grow when that wife is committed to be even more like Christ. You know, that's the type of beauty that blesses God and husbands as well. You know, the truth is, we don't primarily look at you anymore. I mean, we do a little bit, but we primarily live with you. We live with you. And imagine if wives were this. They said, I'm going to be beautiful on the inside. I'm I'm going to have right here this incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. You know, I'm blown away with how much money and how much time women spend on the outward appearance. Guys, we've got to be careful. It's a relevant issue. And, and since we're second service, I think we can go just a few minutes over I want you guys to go to 1 Timothy. You're like, I'm not coming to 2 anymore. 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's such an important uh, issue that not only does Peter deal with it, Paul deals with something similar here in 1 Timothy 2.9. It says, "In, in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. You know, and, and when you look at this right here, what you find is that, you know, he's telling us to dress modestly as, as ladies. You know, again, just reiterating the fact that it's okay to be attractive for your husband, but not seductive for others. You know, and, 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 it's, and it's not that you can't braid your hair, you can't wear gold. Some churches are like that. They're like, you can't do any of that. You got to wear dresses that go below your feet or something, you know. I mean, but you do have to be modest. I mean, sometimes you wonder, why are her clothes so tight? Doesn't it hurt? You wonder sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, or why, why is she sewing so much skin? Why? It, it, they run out of material or something? Modest. Dressed right. Attractive for your husband, but not seductive for others. Focused 
on the inner beauty. That's the priority, not the outer beauty. Wives, this is what God is calling you to because your husbands will be blessed by that. You know, when, when, when wives are, are like this, they're, they're uh, what I would call submissionaries, you know, and it, what it is is it does a transforming work in their life. Going back to Peter, we have these words and now we put them all together in a sentence for you ladies to remember. Submission brings salvation. So tend to the inner scenery like Sarah, like Sarah did. Because look at, again at 1 Peter 3 in, in verse 5. It says, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And so submission brings salvation. So tend to the inner scenery like Sarah. You know, Peter here, he points the ladies back to the way that they were in the Bible, the way that, for example, Sarah was and I think that part of the reason he says about, talks about Sarah is because of Abraham. That's why. You don't see a lot about Sarah. You do see a lot about Abraham. He was the father of Israel, you know, the father of this faith, so to speak. He was a friend of God. He was a man of God. But why was he a man of God? Because we're reading right here, because of the woman of God that he had. And Abraham, one of the most amazing men who's ever lived. And apparently, a large part of the reason was because of the amazing wife that he had who was willing to do things God's way. You know, I mean, if you, if you try to do this in your flesh, what are you going to get? And some wives are wondering why their husbands... You know, aren't, aren't the Abrahams, in, you know, the way they should be? And, and I see it. I see it with my own eyes. You're not fighting this, in this with spiritual weapons. You're not. You're, you're fighting in the flesh. And, you know, nothing good's going to come out of that. You know, I don't know if you wives realize what a difference you make, you know, for, for good and, and, yes, even for bad. You know, if you keep henpecking your husband... And again, I need to be really careful with this because um, I need to be really careful with this. But, you know, if you keep henpecking your husband, then a lot of times, I'm not justifying it, but it, it, just, it just leads him into a temptation to find another chick. And, and there's never an excuse for that. There's never a justification for that. Never, ever. But I'm just saying that what that can do is it can really discourage a guy. Whereas, you know, you have something to do, something so powerful. You have the truth to do something so good. But instead, you treat him like, uh, like your son rather than the man that God has brought into your life. To, to be a homemaker, to be a helper, to be submissive, to be supportive to be beautiful, to be beautiful, not just look beautiful, how powerful it is. You know, it's hard to do, I will say, because of the, the fall. Genesis 3.16, that's part of the fall 
And it says there to the women, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to rule over your husband. That's what it says in the, in the Hebrew language. And so here we are. It's kind of a, a tough thing. Think about it. Guys, part of the curse is that we're selfish. But God says, love them. And that's the antithesis to selfishness. And then the girls, part of their problem is that due to the falls, they want to rule over their husbands. But God says the very function that you have as a wife is to, is to allow him to lead you. Imagine how difficult that can be. And it can't be done apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. It can't be done if you're not on your knees. It can't be done if you're not in the Word. It can't be done if you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you are... <laughs> then you can be exactly what God's calling you to be. You know, attitude is so important. Maybe you're hearing like, okay, I'll do what he tells me to do. But one of the things about this is it doesn't just say submit, it says be submissive. And so I've told you guys a story about that little boy. A teacher told him to sit down. He said, no. She said, sit down. He said, no. And then he said, you, she said, you better sit down. And so finally he sat down. And he told her, he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) And so we have to come a long way, ladies, to an attitude of trusting God, submission, and an inner beauty that will glorify God and change your husband. And so with that, we run out of time, so let's pray. (laughs) Not as giant. I tried my best to equal it out. I had to hurry through here, but you know we got to talk to the husbands now in verse 7. And it's interesting. Ephesians 5, it gives more content to the husband, a little piece to the husbands, I mean to the wife, and then this time it flips sides more to the wife, but then one verse for the husband, but there's a lot here. In verse 7, it says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so with the ladies, we have the four words that formed a sentence. With the guys, we have three little phrases that have a lot of L's. Number one is to live and learn. Live and learn. Right here he says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding. The word dwell, it means to live together Uh, integration, domestic association. And believe it or not, a lot of men, especially the men of today, they need to be reminded of this command. It's so clear from our Creator to stay with your spouse. What in the heck are you doing somewhere else? Live with the love of your life that God has brought into your life. You know, it's, it's dwelling with them. But even more than that, as we study this word, we see that God wants us to be tight and right he wants us to be soulmates not just roommates right and so what he wants is for us to dwell with them uh according to understanding he wants us to dwell well together Uh, the word understanding here is the greek word gnosis and it refers to a, a deeper knowledge beyond the superficial you know, uh, some, in looking at this, some commentators believe, well, it's the guy who just has a, more of an understanding as, as far as what being a Christian is, but, but most of the commentators believe that it has to do with just understanding her more. 
It, you know, it, it means that, you know, understanding in Christianity responsible way as a husband refers to growing knowledge of your wife, this beautiful and yet complex creature, right? Mysterious. I mean, talk about wonder, woman. I wonder. You just wonder so much, right? You know, and, and it's not going to be easy, guys. Guys, unfortunately, we get frustrated. We want to fix things. If it doesn't happen right away, you know, we, we tend to give up. And God says, you better never, ever give up on this one. Your mission, you, I want you to, to get to know her, to, to live and to learn what your wife is like. And they're all different and they're unique. My one and only, you know, has been wired a certain way. You can't compare her to her because they're, they're totally different. They were knit together in their mother's womb different. They grew up different. They've experienced things different. Some girls, you know, they have been, their hearts have been broken over and over and over again and now you're in their life. It's a lot different than maybe one who never has experienced something like that. Or some, you know, the, the mom and dad, they've been together, they had good role models. I mean, everything is different. You get to know them. It's, it's the challenge of life. You know, it's struggle for us because, number one, as dudes, we're pretty dense. And then, number two, because they're very, very different. And so we need to live and, and learn what are her needs, what are her love languages, you know, uh, romance, affection. I mean, does she like words of encouragement or deeds of kindness, quality time? Sometimes all of them, you know, and you just get to know what blesses her, a daily dose of chocolate. Uh, you know, every day, some women, I mean, all they want, all they want from you is for you to tell them every day that you love them. I love you and mean it. Or some, there's just every day, you know, just, you tell them that they're beautiful, right? I mean, those are things. You get to know your wife, you know, what blesses her, what bums her out. And it's going to take time with them, with them, and maybe less time with others or less time with other things. You really want to get to know her? Spend time with her and listen to her. And it takes time because a lot of times they don't even want to open up to you because they don't trust you. And you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm her husband. Yeah, but a lot of times the husbands have hurt their wife for so long. The wife doesn't even know if she can trust you and really pour out her heart to you, open up to you. So you don't even know her because she can't open up. You know, a lot of guys, they give more attention to the machine in their garage than to the woman in their house. They'd rather be with those tools in their hands and hobbies helping others than the woman in their heart helping her. One guy said the enjoyment we derive from something is directly related to the time and trouble we take to nurture and care for it. And so, you know, it's so important for us to understand this. You know, according to the scriptures, Ephesians 5.25 and forward, the relationship of husband and wife is likened to the relationship of Jesus Christ and his bride, you know, the church. And so, husbands, you're like Jesus to her. You're supposed to be like Jesus to her. But some men are more like the Antichrist than Christ. 
And what do we have to do? We have to study her. We have to take notes. Christ never regards his bride with casual interest or considers her of secondary importance. Do you think that's how Jesus sees the the bride? Not just a casual acquaintance or, yeah, I'll get to the church later. Absolutely not. His bride is always on his heart. So we need to leave and, and cleave. And it takes a daily care and concern as well as I would encourage you to go on dates, maybe once a week or something. It's all the Lord will show you. But bro, you got to have a vision, man. You got to have a vision. If you have no vision, the people perish. Is it? You just kind of like let it all unfold. Like whatever happens, happens. If we go on a date, we go on a date. You don't got anything set whatsoever. You don't have a daily time where you can maybe spend with your wife or maybe once a week where you go on a date and you talk to each other. Or maybe, you, you know, the getaways, the honeymoons, the vacations. I mean, I, I'm learning. Thank God for my friends who have encouraged me to do things like this. We need to get away. And some say, well, it's too expensive. Can't afford it. Well, you can't afford not to. You get away. It's not... You know, a luxury, I think, in many ways, is a necessity. You know, you got to be together. Don't just sit there at home staring at the dumb television. Unless it's a Christian, you know, movie or, or something, <laughs> or Bible study. You know, spend time together. Begin to do things together, you know. The other day I was with... We were some friends, and, and they, they kind of asked me, so what do you guys like to do together? And it made, it made me stop in my tracks. So I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, you know, we, um, the ministry is our life in so many ways, and I thank God that Shelly and I, we do ministry together every day. So they said, well, what do you guys do together? And I said, well, we work out together. But we don't really work out together. We just go to the gym. And once we stretch, then we go our different ways. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what? I'm going to work out with her. And, you know, a guy will be like, no, because I like to do this. You know, I got my routine and stuff, and she's got her routine. And I just said, no, I'm going to work out with her. And it was just so cool, man, just going and Working out together, doing something together, you know, I'm very sore right now because she's, <laughs> she's got a crazy routine. But, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, I mean, maybe go, you know, you learn the hobbies, the golf, maybe you're going to go scuba diving. I don't know what it is, but, you know, you, you dwell with them, you get to know them because you're, you're it's, the God says, I want you, I wa- who else is... is who else is going to get to really know her? Is she going to be alone when you were there, her husband, her whole life? Is that what you're going to do to your wife? I 
You know, some men, you know, if they don't get it, we don't know, we don't realize we've got to love and learn. We've got a second thing is lift for life. Notice again, verse 7, husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. You know, the Greek word for honor here, it speaks of value for the valuable. The honor due, one, by their place and position in life. And unfortunately, many husbands have also failed to do this. They don't pay their wives the honor that's due to them. You know, and you're like, well, why? What has she done? You know, and just because that's the girl God gave you. I mean, that's your spouse and she's special and you honor her. Kind of like the women... She respects her husband, and you, this is even stronger. You honor her. You know, some guys, unfortunately, they dishonor their wife. Some guys, they treat other women better than their own wife. You know, they interrupt her. They finish her sentences. They don't stand when she enters the room or, you know, make her open her own door or carry her own baggage. And then the digression spirals. Eventually, there's no meaningful communication. There's no listening. There's no real heart-to-heart. There's no tenderness or sensitivity or understanding. There's none of that. And then there's no response. No wonder. We have to lift her for life. Honor her as Christ loves and even honors the church. You know, he mentions here that, that she's the weaker vessel And, you know, um, both are weak. One is weaker. She's weaker. And some say, well, that's physically. She's weaker physically. And it's true. And there's some truth to that. Although I do know some wives who are stronger than their husbands. But for the most part, you know, that's the way it works. But, and so you, you know, you, like I said, you open those doors. And part of the reason why it's good to open the car door for your wife, you know, especially when you're in certain places, is because you want to make sure she gets in okay. What if you're, you're getting on your side and she's getting on her side and somebody comes and takes her? So you get her in there. You know, you just, you honor her in, in ways like that. You know, some say that the, she's weaker emotionally, and, and it's true probably, you know, in the fallen state. I think when God designed women, he made them more emotional in their creature, as creatures. But, um, you know, that, that can be something where they might cry easier, they might be led by their emotions easier. It's not always the case, but generally speaking. And so, you know, you're honoring her, understanding her, the way that she's wired. And then even this, this, this the fact that some scholars believe the weaker element here is in, refer- in reference to her submissive role in the relationship. And so in this view, Peter is referring to the fact that by, by marrying the wife has accepted a position of submission and therefore vulnerability. Consequently, the husband is commanded not to take advantage of her or to exploit her weakness in that sense. I mean, she's called to be submissive and supportive, a homemaker, a helper, you know, in one sense, maybe the weaker position. And so what what the Lord, Lord is saying is honor her, understanding that, as I mentioned to you before, when you're making your decisions and you're living your life, you're not there for your own thing. You're not there for you. You're there for her. You're making decisions for her. 
and your family based on how God is leading you. But a lot of guys, they just do it for themselves. You know, it mentions the fact that you're heirs together. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. And it's interesting, you know, it, just, it might be in reference just to life itself. I mean, you guys, you know, we have life together, and so it's, it's such a gracious thing that God has given to us. Uh, some even believe that's in reference to marriage. I mean, you know, because I know people, and there might even be some here today, and they're older, and, and thank God that Jesus is enough. If you're here today and you're single, you can find joy in the Lord, man. But, but just in, in, as a human being, sometimes it's hard. And I talk to my dad sometimes, you know, and he's not married, and he tells me how hard it is. It's hard being lonely. So, but you are married the grace of life to have someone by your side growing old with them. How blessed you are. I pray we would know these things. We're heirs together of the grace of life. And so we need to live and learn and and lift for life. And then the last Little phrases, lest you lose, because that's what it says in verse 7, basically. If you've got to do that, you better treat her right. Otherwise, your prayers will be hindered. You know, sometimes, you know, you talk to people and you hear stories, whatever, and yeah, God's not answering my prayers. Well, first thing you might want to check your heart is how you treat your wife. The word hindered, it means to cut off. You see, God values his daughters to such an extent that when entrusted to a man as husband, given the authority along with the responsibility to take care of her, to bless and blossom her, when he refuses to obey, then God won't hear him when he prays. And so we really need to make sure that we don't water down the warning. You know, and and so a lot, huh, guys? If you're here and you've blown it and you're all messed up and you're like, man, I'm not coming back next week. (laughs) That's not the intention, okay? I've been married for 26 years by the grace of God. The Lord has done a wonderful work, but I got to tell you, I'm still a work in progress. And I, even if you're not, (laughs) I'm getting blessed by these studies. I'm changing. God's working in me and and hopefully in all of us. But if you, if you don't do things God's way, if you want to hide your, your, your sins and hold on to that kind of life, you know, you're going to suffer the consequences of it. And one day, when you're older, you're going to die with a whole bunch of regret and woulda, coulda, shouldas. You know, there, there was a poll taken and they asked all the married couples, if you had to do it over again, would you marry the person you're married to now? And by far, the majority said no. Imagine that. So what's our goal as Christians? Our goal is to say, Lord, one day, when our question is asked, 
of my spouse. If you had it to do all over again, would you marry him? And wouldn't it be so cool that if, because we just were obedient to God's word, that just, man, without a, in the twinkling of an eye, their response was just a, a resounding yes. Yeah, he was so cool. <laughs> she was amazing. Not complicated, it's just all here in the Bible. You know, doing things God's way. Such an important relationship. But did you guys know that there's no marriage in heaven? Did you guys know that? There is no marriage in heaven. You know, Jesus said that we're going to be like the angels, neither marrying nor giving in marriage. You read Matthew 19, Mark chapter 10. But here's the thing. Like I told Shelly, we'll still be best friends. <laughs> we'll hang out with each other. But part of the reason I say that is just to close with this, as we have the musicians come forward, that although marriage is such an important relationship, it's probably just the second most important relationship because the most important relationship is your relationship with God. And you, you won't even have a chance to do any of this other stuff unless you establish first that relationship with God. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian or maybe you've, you know, you've distanced yourself from Him, my prayer is that, man, you would give your life to Christ. That he, he loves you. He died on a cross for all your sins. He was put in a grave. He rose in three days to conquer the coffin, to defeat death. He gutted the grave just to prove who he was. And, and, and the Bible says that all you have to do is believe. You place your faith in Jesus. You're here today, and you find a void that just won't be filled with all the other stuff, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. If you're here today, you tried religion, but you know you're really not right with God. You're here today, and you don't really know where you stand. You don't know if you're forgiven. You don't know for sure that if you would die, you'll go to heaven. You don't have that peace with God, that assurance. Then all you have to do today is to take that step of faith. It's, it's a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And you can have that assurance today. You can have that life today. All you got to do is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what the Bible says in Acts 16, 31. Don't leave the same way you came. Don't leave the same way you came. Leave today by understanding who Jesus is and by giving him your heart.